morning, everybody. First things first, isn't it awesome to have a whole volunteer crew here just to make this happen for us? So cool. And, you know, we've been having these huge crowds over Christmas and stuff, so I know they're used to being blown away by the voices, but that was really cool at the end to hear all of y'all singing the last one. I know that means a lot to the the crew up there, but thanks, y'all. It's so huge. Um, Just to be honest and getting started here, you know, pretty much all of us, or I know most of you, may not know all of each other, but, you know, just uh, it occurs to me that there's just a lot going on in our lives, you know, um, as I've just, I've just been kind of going through names of people that are here in my head, I'm thinking, you know, there's just nobody I can think of that is immune from hard things. And uh, so I just thought maybe we'd start for a second this morning and just, as before I share this stuff, and just talk to the Lord about it for a minute and, you know, just come together as people who are broken and messed up and have hard things happening and just uh, put it in his hands for a second. So, uh, Lord, you, um, you are good, and you're holy, and you're righteous, um, you're perfect, you're the creator, you're, you're the God of the universe, uh, and Lord, uh, there's nothing that happens that's outside of you, um, or your knowledge, or your understanding, uh, and Father, um, we rejoice in that, and when in those moments where we come together and the words of the songs that we sing together, um, God, we, we just recognize the, the goodness. It, it touches our heart for just a moment, uh, that connection with you. Um, we, we remember, but Lord, we, uh, we just confess that, um, that, that this life and the things that happen in this life and the things that we face are really hard, um, and they cause a lot of, uh, they cause personal suffering, and um, sometimes we add to that. Uh, but God, we want to uh, confess it to you, and even, I think, a lot of us need to be angry with you, uh, maybe all of us from time to time. God, uh, but you've provided us with the um, the love from you that allows us to be angry with you and to suffer um, and be frustrated. Uh, none of that changes who you are, and I thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself as constant and strong. Uh, Lord, we claim and remember the verses that you've given us in your scripture that nothing can separate us from you, uh, that there is no height or depth or power, or trouble or person or anything that's happening, God, that can separate us from your love. And God, I, I just ask that you would show that. We need you to show your love to us. And Lord, I pray that we together here for a few moments, we just be able to sigh a, a, just a breath of relief and release as we gather together as friends from all over the country, uh, as friends from right here in town um, who are trying to walk through life. Uh, so God, we just we come to you in the hard things, but we also want to now rejoice in who you are and find uh, encouragement and excitement in the fact that you have loved us so well and so much. So help us to, to gather together, Lord, to be a part of each other's suffering and a part of each other's joy, uh, even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
so I'm going to try to turn the corner. As uh, Tyler Henson, we were laughing the other day, and he said, you know, Scott's messages, he always starts with some funny something and then three points. It's like, that's the formula. So get ready, because here it comes again today, okay? <laughs> there, there, are, there are certain uh, lines that we draw socially, certain things that we set up where we kind of judge other people because they're on the other side of that line. Now, perhaps I'm the only person who does that, but if you are like that, um, and, and, and there are all kinds of things, from, from what we drive to, you know, how we go down the mountain to, how, you know, if we like snow or we like the hiking or whatever we do. But one of those lines that's it's pretty clear is how long you leave your Christmas decorations up. <laughs> okay, now this is, a, this is a social line that some people cross, and other people stay on one side and look at those people, okay? Uh, and I've always been one of those guys who stays safely on the I take my decorations down early side of things. That is over. Okay, so I'm just telling you, if you would like to judge, you may, because I'm leaving the Christmas tree up. Okay, just, it's a tree. I'm, I'm, only going to, I'm going to half step, okay? I'm going to half step. Lights are still on. Claire actually, you know, she, she was like, we need to take that thing down. I said, can we just keep it up a little longer? She said, people are going to judge. Like, you know, not in a bad way. She was kidding. But I was like, yeah, yeah, we're going to, let's leave it up. So she's all in. So the tree is still there. I figure uh, until I get like a notice from Radiant Lake, you have to take that thing down. Or like a fire hazard, you know, begins, you know, sparks or something like that. Then we'll take it down. Anyway, I just thought I'd let you know, just as you're trying to understand who this guy is that's talking to you, I'm on the other side of the line. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're in this uh, series here at the beginning of the year talking about what the mission and the core values of really who would this church is, who, who we are and what we're about. And so last week we, we dug into that just a little bit, and, and we're going to continue to do that. But in one word, the mission of this church is reconciliation. In one word, reconciliation is, if you had, you know, a t-shirt with reconciliation on it, you, you would be carrying around the mission. That's what we're about. And there are a couple of avenues that that happens. What we're about is, is restoring the relationship that people have with God. That's, that's reconciliation. So this, the one aspect of that is our reconciliation to God, the individual believers, the people in this church, Another piece of that is reconciliation amongst one another, whether in this room or outside this room, reconciliation among men, but also bringing the message, the news that reconciliation is possible outside the walls to our community and to the world. So you see there's these sort of three aspects of that reconciliation that goes out. And, and we'll be talking about that as we unfold the, this story. So that's the idea of reconciliation, but then I just want to continue each of the weeks we go through this to talk about what our core values are. And those are things that we've picked out. They're not, um, they're, there could be hundreds and hundreds of core values, but we've picked out six that are, stand for who we are. And I think they're probably on the wall there. But uh, and I'm going to keep saying this because I want it to go into your head. The, reason, the way I remember it is we share. Words, we share. Worship, equipping, service, harvest, retreat, and recovery. Okay, so that's, that's the, the six things that we're going to make sure that we focus on and we're going to break those out over the coming weeks so that you're sure, you know, okay, I know what equipping is. You know, I think if you just said, hey, my church is about, has a core value of harvest. Well, you can't really say that. 
You know, what does that mean? Nobody knows what that means. It's kind of an internal thing. So we need to unpack that and all understand what each of those things are. And that's what we're going to be doing as we walk through this, this series. So uh, last week, in diving back down to reconciliation, we talked, we, we talked about reconciliation as something that is necessary because a relationship is broken. And I really focused on the brokenness of the relationship that we have with God and why that is and why it's so important that that relationship be restored. And so we got down to talking about the word sin, a word that we don't like to use very much, but it's our transgression, our pride, our rejection of God, something that we inherit as human beings. We're a part of that uh, bloodline. The DNA of rebellion against God is ours from before we were born, and then we also uh, take part in that rebellion against God. And so for two reasons, we're guilty. Two reasons separate us from uh, a good relationship, a right relationship with God. So we talked about that last week. The second thing about that is uh, that, that we're going to look at this week is what God's role in restoring that relationship is. So we looked at the, bro- the reason it's broken. We're going to look at God's role in that relationship and the res- restoration of the relationship. And the third thing we're going to look at about reconciliation is uh, what our role in it is. And, and we're going to talk more specifically about that next time or, or soon. So for all of these messages, we're going to be in this one passage in 2 Corinthians. And I want to look through it. As we go, I'm going to read through it. It's 2 Corinthians 5, verse, we're going to start in 14. It's just uh, seven verses, 14 through 21. And what I want to ask you to do is, I, as I read through this, if you'll just take a moment and as, as we do it, just look for where it is in there that it talks about what God does to restore our relationship, what God does for reconciliation. So be watching for that as we go through. All right? So let's read this. For the love of Christ controls us. And because we have concluded this, that one died for all, and therefore all died, And he died that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Now, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. So three things that I want to say about it, this uh, idea of, of what God is doing to reconcile us, what his role is. Three things. One is that he is the cause. He is the initiator of reconciliation. So he's the cause. He's also, through his son Jesus, he's the crux of it. He's the center of it. He starts it, but he's also the center of it in his son, Jesus. And he is also the completion of reconciliation. He completes the whole thing. So he starts it, 
His son is the crux of it, and he is the completion of it as well. So speaking about this idea of him being the cause, if you look down at verse 18, you'll see something that I think is subtle, but it's super important. Right at the beginning of verse 18, it says, Now, all this, all this talk about reconciliation, all this thing that's putting us right with God, is from God. Okay? So this is where we're going to draw down to this one little place. All this is from God. And Paul wants us to be sure and see this. He repeats himself about reconciliation. He said, he says, uh, says it a couple ways. He said, in Christ, God's reconciling the world. And then he repeats himself again. He wants to be sure that we understand that, that God is the one who initiates it. Now, the thing is, like with humans, we can be reconciled to one another often by just making an apology. You know, a lot of times that goes a long way, right? If, if I've hurt your feelings or said something, I find out I did, I say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I hurt your feelings. I shouldn't have done that. I probably knew better. You know, you might say, cool, we're done. You know, it's no problem. Then there is that kind of uh, apology, like, I love that one when you're like on the playground, you know, with kids, or you're like in the grocery store and you hear the mom, you tell your, so- your sister you're sorry, I mean it right now, you know, and so then the, there's this apology, and you can almost see through the shelves, you see the, the other, the sibling who offended, like, saying I'm sorry, but you see the wicked look of I'm about to do it again, you know, right now I'm going to poke you in the eye as soon as mom turns around, so, you know, we, we are funny about, about that, but I was, I was visiting with uh, Courtney, our Young Life director, uh, the other day, and she was talking about um, apologies and what they look like amongst people. And, um, and I tell you, a, a sincere apology for something you really did, like it's, it's easy like if I stepped on your toe or you know, kind of said something a little off, that, but when I really hurt you, man, it's really hard for me to fix, to go back on that. Do you know what I'm talking about? I can hurt Claire's feelings and it can take me for, and it's so dumb, but it take me forever to say, I'm sorry that I did that. Now, I don't know why that is. But when, when we really own that and we, uh, we seek forgiveness and we apologize and we explain not why we did it, but the fact that this is, this is wrong. This is my, this is my confession. I'm, I'm I'm just telling you I'm so sorry. That, that can bring us together as humans. However, with God, it is not that way. It does not work that way with God because uh, though the attitude of supplication and, hum- and humbleness before God is important, and critical to our understanding, of course, of who he is, there's really something important to know, uh, and that is that... Um, Becoming right or being reconciled to God is more of a legal matter. Okay. Uh, I was at some basketball games. Some of you were there this week. Uh, Friday night, I guess. We watched, I don't know, four games. And it's so funny how parents are sure they are probably better refs than the actual referees are. You ever notice that? Some of you? (laughs) Yeah. There's, yeah. Uh, We have some people in our midst who have who should have a striped shirt on, mostly because they're in jail for attacking <laughs> referees, not because they're good at refereeing. <clears throat> uh, yeah, yeah, they won't give you a whistle. But it's, it's funny, we, we're very comfortable with the idea of legal infraction. We totally get it, right? 
some kid, you know, some sophomore kid who's barely ever played basketball steps, is, has his toe on the line of the free throw. You're kidding me? You don't give me another free throw? You know, because we're freaking out because if somebody just crossed the line a little bit and we got to get another shot out of that or whatever it is, right? You know, we all, well, most of us, some of us have done that and, and been angry over because we understand that there is a consequence or something that happens in order for the game to actually work. You have to play inside the, you know, there's no game if there is no structure, right? Are we all okay with that? If you're just out there running around, there's not actually a game of basketball taking place. So we all get it, but we just don't get it with God, right? Because we think, well, you know, I was just going a little bit over, you know. If, if some kid in the basketball game said, I just went a little over the line before I shot the three-pointer, nobody cares what he thinks, right? Because he was over the line. It's just how that, and so I, I'm only saying all of that to point out that we understand that there are certain boundaries that we live within as human beings. And if we live within those on a basketball court at the high school, that's the smallest little picture of the construct, the legal construct that we live in, in God's economy. It's a much bigger picture. And when we transgress the natural law of God and the spoken word of God, those consequences aren't just a free throw. You know, it's, it's different. But we want, it to be, we want it to be a slap on the hand. You know, we just, we want it to be that. In, in, but there aren't rule changes. Uh, I want to... Let me, let me ask you to turn over to, if you can, 1 John 4. And we'll put it up here too. It's 1 John 4.10. It, it is a legal matter between us and God, but God steps in to make it right. Uh, look at this with me. It says in, in verse 10, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's not, this is what love is. Not that we did anything, but that God did something for us. And now I know most of you probably aren't using the word propitiation very often. Like you probably count it on one hand, and it's probably today if you say it. Uh, propitiation essentially means that uh, consequences have been turned away. That, that someone made it possible for consequences to be turned away. So it's a, a word that's, I think it's just in the New Testament. There's a word like it in the Old Testament that you've probably heard, it's called atonement, where someone takes place, or something takes the place uh, of another, essentially. And propitiation is like that. The word atonement isn't, just for those of you who are interested, isn't actually used in the New Testament. And propitiation is, and there's, there's nuances about their difference, but the, the main idea is that the there is um, a punishment or a wrath or uh, something that has to come down that is turned away by someone, and that is what propitiation is. And, and here's the, the really amazing thing about God's economy, about his legal system, and that's this, that someone can actually take your place. You know, we... It could be in God's economy and God's rule, the way he has set it up, that someone could not take our place. 
right? Think, think about that for a second. You know, I, Lisa might have done something. I said, hey, I'll take the punishment. She can go free, unless that's not part of the rules. But in the case of the way the creator God works, it is possible for someone to take our place. And so God doesn't actually change the rules or soften the rules or say, it's okay, don't worry about it this time. He says, I'm going to make it right at the highest cost to myself. See, it's, it's not, um, it's important for us to understand that there is this structure within which we live in, I think, subtly and somehow most of us, whether we believe or not, understand these things and, and can get the fact, the idea that, that, there is such a thing as propitiation, as atonement, as someone taking our place. Uh, so, I, I don't know if I can say this right. We, we would typically think, hey, it would be merciful for God to say, hey, it's okay, you did that. Just go on, don't worry, don't do that again, or whatever. You know, it's okay that you, we're in a broken relationship, we're going to... But and we would say, we would want to call that mercy, right? I would want to say it was merciful that he said it's okay. But the mercy is that he sent his son to take our place. That's the mercy that he shows us. Not just it's okay, but there still is a cost and you and I don't have to pay it. That's unbelievable. So the mercy doesn't come to us straight, it goes... It goes through Christ. And that's where we get to this next point. God is the initiator. He's the one who starts it. He's the cause of reconciliation between us. But Jesus is the crux. And I use the word crux for a reason, because as you know, all of you being Greek students, that crux is just another word for cross, right? So the cross is the centerpiece, this thing in the middle, that is where it all comes together in one place. Jesus is the very center of this. And look at verse 18 back in 2 Corinthians. All this is from God, and here's, here's where Paul repeats himself. He says, uh, all this is from God. Through Christ, he reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. So through Christ, it happens, not through something else. That is, in Christ, he's saying it again, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us. So Paul makes a really clear point. And the way that this thing happened through Christ is that Jesus became sin on our part. He, and the cross is that focal point. It's kind of amazing, you know, that it's shaped like that, at least in the way that we think. That is the focal point of history in terms of reconciliation with God. It is the crux of it all. In verse 21, the last that we're looking at, "For for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That point on the cross was the ultimate identification with sin and with us. But the, th- the thing about the cross is that it's a lot more than it appears. How, how many of you guys, and I don't care if you didn't, saw the, uh, the movie The Passion of Christ? Right, The Passion of the Cross. So most of us probably saw it. Um, you remember when that came out and, and it was, you know, it was a well-done movie, you know, uh, probably some of us would say for once, you know, Something came from the Christian community that, even though it wasn't necessarily a Christian community, it was a good representation of who Jesus was and what he did. And, you know, it's the story of his last 
bit of time on earth. And there was a, there's a subtle thing about that that just, it, uh, to tell you the truth, it, it honestly bugged me. And here's, here's what it is. Is that the movie was about everything that we could see about the passion of Christ. The movie could only show us what was visible about the passion of Christ. And for the people who made the movie, that was the amazing thing, that he would suffer like that for us. Well, a lot of people got crucified, y'all. There's, crucifixion had been around for a long time, and it continued to stay around. It's, that kind of suffering was not unusual in that world. And that's what I mean by saying that um, the, the cross in this moment, this crux of history or re, history of reconciliation was much more than it appeared on the surface. It's almost, almost like if you, if you saw a picture of a, of a couple that had married, you know, 60 years, like one of those really long, and you just saw a picture, if I showed you a picture, we'd say, oh, you know, that's cute and all that, right? But we, would not, we could not even imagine all of the history of their life behind that. You know what I mean? You know, so, do you ever think about that when you see like an older person and you know they've been through stuff and you're like, I wonder what their whole story is. You know, I wonder what they've been through. You know, this picture of this couple, it doesn't show their dating or what they grew up like and how they met and then all the struggles and the fact that this happened in their life and that and the high points. We don't know any of that, right? We just have the picture. And I think it's a little bit like what that movie is. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. But what's happening behind at the moment, behind the scene, at the moment of Christ's suffering on the cross is um, infinitely more than we can understand. Uh, let, me, let me, maybe I can illustrate it like this. Like I prayed a minute ago, many of us have suffered. Many of us are suffering. We've been through hard times or hard times are coming, whatever that is for us. And we know what that pain is like, what that feeling in our heart, or our, our gut, or whatever our, our mind is like. The, but we stretch it out over a period of our lifetime, perhaps, or a month. Let's Imagine if you took all the suffering that you felt, and you can pick another person, but, and you ground it all down into a moment. That would be a painful moment, wouldn't it? You know, if you can think of the worst thing you felt, and you, and, but everything, all the breakups and the, and the things you've seen and suffered over and ground it all down into a moment, that would be a moment of intense suffering. Okay, now let's say I take on all of Lisa's suffering. And then I get all of Gay's suffering and all of Neil and Suzette's suffering Man, that would be hard for me to bear in a moment. Well, that's five of us. On the cross, at the crux of the reconciliation between man and God, Jesus took all of the suffering and all the sin for all time, for all men, at one time. Can you imagine what that was like? And all, and all we saw was him hanging on the cross. That's nothing. We saw a crown and some blood. That's nothing. That was part of it. 
That was God's way of having him identify with us completely. Absolutely the lowest possible place you could be on the earth was on a cross. We, we can't get lower than that. I think the cross is just much, much more than it appears. And it's, when we try to wrap our minds around it, it's just a bit much. Um, so God initiates reconciliation with us. And he is, through his son, uh, the, the crux of it. He's, he's, he makes it possible. He initiates it, makes it possible through Jesus, as we saw there in those passages. But uh, another little piece of that is in verse uh, 14. Look at this with me. It was for all men, for all time. He completed it. The love of Christ controls us. And because we have concluded, th- because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. One has died for all. Uh, so to think about this for a second. The work of Christ on the cross was for all men, for all sin, for all time. But it is also for you and for me, for before we knew Christ, at the moment of coming to Christ, and after. No matter when that happens in our history, the whole continuum of our life, wherever it is. So there's a big macro picture, but there's also a micro picture that has to do with us individually. And when we're taught, this is really important to our understanding of what God's doing in our world. And I want to read you a couple of passages that I think you'll find really interesting after seeing that idea that Christ has died for all, that he completes it for all. Uh, look at 1 John 2, 2. I'm going to put it up on the wall here. You, might, you can mark these in your, or you know, note them in your phone or whatever to go with this idea of him dying for all, of his reconciliation being for all. To he is a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. It's not private stuff. It's for everyone. 1 Timothy 2. For there is one God and one, there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. In Hebrews 2, 9. We see him for a little while, we, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. You see, in all of those verses, all those passages were confirming that the work of Christ is for all people. This is where we get into some real distinctives about what it is that we believe if we follow Jesus. Jesus wasn't a martyr. He wasn't a good guy. He wasn't a prophet. What we're saying is he was the Savior. He was the one who can make it right. Okay? That's different. That's totally different than what anybody else is going to say, especially any of the major religions. Okay? Uh... And when we see this repeated over and over and over, we need to see that all means all. 
and there's an incredibly important piece of that because what it, what it does is it allows us to not see ourselves as particularly special in the line of God's grace, but every person throughout all time is absolutely critical and his work on the cross was sufficient for everything. And you know, this is one of those things where we get into some touchy space with Christianity, right? Well, is, is it what Jesus did on the cross that empowers the Buddhist to move through the levels of, of becoming more closer to nirvana? And then he actually is. Um, it, it, uh, either way, any, we'll just use any world religion. Is, he the, is Christ the power behind all of that? And that's where we say, no, this is distinctive. He's not the power behind those things. Those religions may be seeking for Jesus, but he is not the power that infuses them as well. Do you see the difference I'm trying to draw there? He's not what makes those things reality. And each of us have to come to that on our own. We have to face those issues on our own and deal with them. But his sacrifice is for anyone, anywhere, at all times. Uh, I was, uh, um, let me get close to wrapping this up. I was visiting with a, a pastor. He's a former pastor of one of those giant churches, like 6,000 members. And he'd been there for 30 years or something. And I had a conversation, I got to have a conversation with him. It was really interesting. Uh, it was kind of funny because I felt like he was preaching to me just when we were talking. I think after that many years of preaching in a big old church, you just kind of talk like that. So he was telling me stuff, and I was trying to listen. I was trying to learn from him. But one of the things that he kept saying that, that I, and I don't think he meant it, but I was very sensitive to it, was he was saying, he kept referring to this idea of um, people needing to follow Christ and make decisions that, um, that were part of the rules, if you will. Like, um, let's make sure that Neil does the right things. God, be sure and teach Neil to do the right things. And I was like, well, and I thought, okay, I know that's, there's something missing there because I felt like we were, in our conversation, we were putting the cart before the horse. Because what happens is when, because of Christ, because he died for all of our sin, for all time in our lives, what, what he has done He's created the possibility for relationship with God. And out of that will flow a desire to follow him, to play within the rules, if you will. But the beauty of this whole message is that God didn't say, clean up your stuff before I go to the cross. He didn't say it then. Remember, it's all time. So he's not saying it to you now. Get it right so we can do this. Be sure and, you know, or as soon as you trust Jesus, now you've got to change everything, right? Now, I mean, we all know relationship takes time. Uh, I, I hope, I don't want to minimize the importance of following Jesus and what that means to us and how it is, our, the change that comes in our life because we're following him is amazing, beautiful. But before those things happen, we get to be reconciled to God and feel what it is, you know, when, when you have that apology that works. And be reconciled to Him and be in a relationship with Him. And out of that, 
flows the freedom to follow him. And that is, uh, that, that's, I think, that's why I'm getting to this thing today in, in reconciliation. What God does is really the heart of the matter. Um, and I, I'll close with, with saying this. Paul says it at the end. He says, hey, I, I just implore you, be reconciled to God. I'm, I'm saying that, I'm saying it to myself, be reconciled to God. He's made it possible. You can't out him. You can't outdo God. God's sacrifice for you through Jesus. You cannot do it. Enjoy that. Enjoy that. Be reconciled to God. Uh, we're going to have communion. Um, you guys can get that going as I pray. Father, I uh, do thank you, Lord, that uh, you relieve the burden of being perfect or being right uh, before we know you. And God, even after we know you, the, the burden is still relieved because you have taken over for us past, present, and future. And God, I pray for each of us that's struggling with following you or making it all about rules or whatever. God, I pray that we would draw close to you, just remembering what you've done, just be enamored with the uh, incredible things you did to love us, uh, to draw us to yourself, Lord. And and so through that, um, Lord, let that be the fuel and the fire that causes us to follow well. Lord, let us be reconciled to you. And thank you for what you did to reconcile us to you. In Jesus' name, amen.